Hello, and welcome to the Oscar Went To, the podcast that looks back at a year in film and sees what films endured, what films didn't, and attempts to figure out why. Please give it up for your masters of ceremony, Max Salim and Nick Mestad. It is. Do you think that, like, someday there it'll be... He, do you think someday we'll record a podcast when the pandemic is like, let me rephrase. Do you think someday we'll be recording a, an episode of the Oscar went to, and there will be zero worldwide cases of coronavirus? Interesting. Um, uh, so, so th- that to me is more a question about like time than it is about like, to me, it's, it's yeah. It's, 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 there's a couple factors yeah, going on here. Yeah. How long you think we'll be continuing to record the podcast for? Yeah. Um, and, and how long reasonably is this, is the virus going to be a thing? I, I, Cause I think it'll be like three, four years before the pandemic, like before there's like zero worldwide cases. Like it's going to be like a, cause I'm like thinking of like, actually, I truly don't know. This is just a complete like peripheral. I don't know. Like it I, could be like 20 years dude. yeah it could be but 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 i mean like basically it's like uh, yeah it's like because it's like it's like it comes down to like a technicality of like tech it's going to be a small news item that's like oh and hey by the way did you hear uh, <laughs> it, it's going to be like what the newscast like closes with it's like and the world's last recorded uh case of covid19 today uh in the year of our lord 2032 is um <laughs> blah, blah, blah. like it's going to be because it's just going to be like it's going to be like the flu i get not even the flu i think it's gonna we'll be on to another disaster yeah oh my god oh the, the people are gonna be like what was covid19 <laughs> yeah. yeah oh that like baby food pandemic <laughs> yes what about the one where your eyes bleed your eyes bleed and you crave human flesh what about that one yeah and i'll and i'll yeah. and, and unfortunately the cases for that today were very high yes whatever we're calling that as i warm my hands uh on this uh, barrel fire in the alley um yeah shit shit's shit's gonna get very bad um <laughs> yeah but you know something that is the opposite of what we're talking about is the general feeling and milieu of the movie that we're covering today hello and welcome to the oscar went to this week as a supplement to our 2006 episode we're getting our scuba gear on and doing a deep dive into the 2006 hit that thing you do directed by tom hanks i'm max i'm nick on this podcast, we like to look back at a year in film, decide what has aged well and what hasn't, and try to figure out why. If that sounds interesting to you, jump back two episodes in our feed and check out our recap of 1996. And then after that recap, we like to jump into the depths and take a closer look at some of the films that piqued our interest from a, from a given year. Quick disclaimer, our deep dive episodes are no holds barred, and we absolutely get into spoiler territory. So if you've never seen that thing you do and you want to see it unspoiled, this might not be a good starting episode for you. All right. Without further ado, everything we just said, that thing you do. That thing you do. That thing you do. Also, uh, rare, rare uh, uh, echelon of movies that have an exclamation point in the title. I love that. Yes. Love yes. That. What else? Uh, every, Does, everybody Wants Some has two. Oh, Everybody Wants. That's a good one. Okay. And uh, that that's like not a completely different genre than that thing you do. No. You know, like period piece, very positive. Uh, 
could be a double feature there. Sl- slice of life. Yeah. The two double features that we've, I think, proposed uh, in, on this podcast, uh, the other movie has, for both has been uh, Everybody Wants Some. <laughs> it's good. Every movie we watch, yeah, is the double feature pairing is Everybody Wants Some. And every movie we bring up, sometimes we wish Richard Linklater had directed yes. it. So, I mean, a theme emerges. I mean, how could, how could it not? I love that. I'm trying to think of other movies think- with exclamation points in the title. Go ahead. I think Mother, Ooh, good Aronofsky's call. Mother, Mother has an exclamation it definitely point. Definitely does. Definitely does. Uh, I think there's a movie called Oh God from like nineteen the 1970s. Does this ring a bell? And it has like a, I remember this from like the the block like going to Blockbuster and seeing like VHS covers. Also, a great uh, uh, one thing that. Um, a friend group and I never were going to do and never did at the beginning of the pandemic. We were starting to do slideshows of like, we would zoom and slideshow with each other about like, oh, here's our favorite movies, five favorite movies, and here's our five favorite CDs. And we just do that over Zoom. And one of the things we were going to do uh, next that we just never got to was um, top five um, uh, movie covers that we only recognize from like walking around the movie store, which I thought was a really nice, unique genre. Anyway, I know, that was I a think- big tangent. I think I, re- I I referenced that from a movie from 96. What was it? It's like the one where there's like the clone of a, like 20 men holding the oh, waist yeah, mul- of a woman. Multi- multiplicity. Multi- multi- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's like 20 Keatons on it. Yeah. That's good exactly. shit. Um, well, yeah, but uh, uh, and also similar. I mean, this movie, like exclamation point in the title and similar. It is. It's just like a very it's, it's an exceedingly pleasant movie. Um, it is. So, um, this was not a, I, I wouldn't say this was a dr- direct listener's request for this movie, but somehow when you look at the sum of 1996, this isn't really one that comes up in, you know, the top five or top 10 most remembered. However, both of us have friends that really love this movie. And so mm-hmm. sort of, um, de facto, we, we decided we had, we had to do it. Yeah. And uh, glad we did, because my familiarity with this movie was um, uh, I was a big fan of New Found Glory, the emo band uh, in high in high school, like the, the in the aughts. And um, they had a CD uh, called Fudge. What was it called? Uh, From the screen to your stereo, where they just covered uh, famous movie songs and okay. they covered they covered. This was one of them. And so they had like a pop punk version of this. Uh, the song rules it really rules uh, <laughs> I mean their, their cover of it does, is, is, is fun but the movie like the the song in the movie is like for a, a song that's like hey we're gonna have a song play like eight or nine times borderline in, in its entirety each time throughout this movie and to have that song not get old is a tall task and I feel like this movie certainly uh, meets meets that 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 task. Um, All right, let let song. me let me just do a little little bit yeah, of uh, context, a little bit of table setting. We'll we'll jump right yep. into the song because that's a good place to start. So this is mm-hmm. written and directed by Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks' only film he has written and directed. Um, uh, not true. Larry Crown and wrote it. All right, I stand corrected. Thank you. That's why this is why I, it's just not me that's on the here. podcast. That's why it's not me just talking for an hour about that thing you do by <laughs> myself. So. Uh, written and directed by Tom Hanks. He wrote, he started writing the film when he was doing, uh, promotional stuff for Forrest Gump and pretty quick turnaround to make your first film. You know, I guess if you're doing promotional Mm -hmm. stuff for Forrest Gump, that must be in 95, 94, 95, 94. Yeah. 
released on. I know I'm assuming it maybe bled into '95 a little bit. Some of the promo oh, got stuff, you. but I don't yeah, know. Sorry for me. Okay, and uh, and released on October 4th, 1996. So that is that is quick. That is quick. I want to right. jump in here, but 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 I'll let you finish the. And just the, last little thing, Jonathan Demme, uh, director of Philadelphia with with Tom Hanks, is the the top build producer on the film. Little fun Good fact. Oh, I did see that. I didn't make the Philadelphia connection. Totally, Demi pops up a couple years earlier. Ninety three, yeah, yeah. maybe ninety two. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it was the year before Forrest Gump, so ninety three that he won. Yeah. Um, yeah, Demi pops up in movies like he or he did like he would re, he would like be behind the scenes and stuff. Um, I wish I had an example to back up this what I'm saying, but I I can't think of it now. But I feel <laughs> like I, I've seen. It. Yeah, he was just like a film guy. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 speaking to the quick turnaround of like Tom Hanks like writing this during the press of Forrest Gump and then it coming out like less than two years later. Uh, before I even like knew that piece of trivia watching this movie, I was like, and just looking at the timing of it, like this is Tom Hanks. I mean, obviously he's solidified, you know, if he's not the top actor of the past 30 years, he's, I mean, he's the, he's easily, I mean, he's, he's easily top five. I mean, he's just like the actor. Um, but this is like him at like his, the height of his powers. Like I, I feel like like watching this movie, I'm like he wrote it, he directed it, he basically had everything at his disposal. Of like, hey, do you want to make just like a personal project? Like we can like finance it, we can like we can give it like a really good like really good backing for like whatever you want to do, Mister Hanks. Uh, and I feel like that like th- like this movie bleeds just like personal sort of like, hey, now that I like worked my ass off and like you know got to this like incredible stratosphere of of success like i'm gonna do this like you know kind of pet project or this like i feel like doing this thing and this movie has that feeling of like it's not there's not a necessarily it's it lacks like vitality i feel like like it's not like an essential like i need to tell this story it's just like pleasant slice of life uh things that like like clearly he enjoys um which is like kind of what works for the movie i feel like sure i mean i'm yeah so i don't I don't know. I think the point you bring up is is good. I would say even now, though, I don't know that Tom Hanks just goes gets thirty million dollars to direct a movie because he wants to right now. I don't. Think I don't his think powers so are as high, a, right. as strong as they once were. But just for a little bit of context, like this is smack dab in the middle of the '90s, basically, where he has done uh, Sleepless in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He's done. Um, Forrest Philadelphia. Gump. He's done Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which he won an Oscar for Forrest Gump. He won an Oscar for Philadelphia. He did League of Their Own. Uh, he did Apollo 13. He mm-hmm. did uh, Must Be... What else? Toy Story, of course. Toy Story, year before this, yeah. Um, Saving Private Ryan. Which uh, was after this, yeah. After this. But just to give, like, the, in, in this, yeah. like, six-year period. Um, and then maybe Road to Perdition, or is that, like, in the 2000s? That's two thousands, anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, a run for an actor that is maybe the greatest in Hollywood history. I mean, like, I don't know how you beat like just in terms of just like I, that, I can. That, that, I think I can debunk that. I, I can't right now, but give me next episode. I'll, I'll provide. I guess, fine, that's fine. That's fine. But, but I you're mean, all like, about just, throwing big statements around, so that's okay. I feel. I, I feel like yeah. I mean, I feel yes. But but I mean, for for what like for all intents and purposes, like this is like you can't be bigger than Tom Hanks was at this time. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, and you have all these resources available to you. You have your first film with a $24 million budget, which mm-hmm. is pretty impressive. And then I was surprised to see that this only grossed $36 million in the worldwide box office. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I wasn't surprised by that. I mean, it, it yes. I mean, this kind of gets into to other. Uh, yeah, it's hard hard to talk in this way without kind of branching out into to other things that may be better for later in the episode. But did you see this? Mo- when did you first see this movie? Was this a movie you grew up with? I bet I I bet I saw this movie in theaters, and okay. I've seen it. I feel like it's a movie I saw several times between being um, eight and. 15 and then i probably mm-hmm. haven't really seen it since then yeah that makes sense i feel like that's generally speaking people of our generation that's like or like the friends that like really like this movie that's how they saw it. my roommate was saying how much he loves this movie and he said it was because he was like wasn't allowed to see pg-13 or above movies when he was a kid like his parents were pretty strict and he said this was like a nice pg sweet spot where it's like oh i was allowed to watch that one and i did have the thought watching this because i'd never I, I just missed this movie and I watched it for the first time yesterday, the, I had the feeling of like, oh, this is like, I mean, this is already a nostalgic movie. It's like just full of nostalgia. Uh, if I had seen this, if I had grown up with this movie, I feel like I would have a much, much softer place for it. Cause it, 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 it just like, it lends itself to being kind of a really comfy, nice, happy movie that you watch like in, in childhood. Sure. So I want to say, what'd you think of it? But that's usually not a very uh, conducive um, starting point for us, I feel like. So let's just kind of get into it and we'll, uh, I'll start to form my understanding of your opinions about this movie as we okay. go. The, okay. uh, the, you started a good point. You bring up the song and mm-hmm. wow, the stakes couldn't be higher for this song to be fucking good. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like if this song is like mediocre or annoying, like mm-hmm. the whole movie doesn't work. And in fact, you're like irritated by the time you walk out of the theater. So yes, yeah, pretty high stakes. High stakes. A uh, little piece of trivia behind the song: Adam Schlesinger, the bassist for the the real band Fountains of Wayne, penned the title song in response to a contest being held by the studio. Their song "One" being used in the movie. The movie was released shortly after the uh, Fountains of Wayne first album. So the 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 studio held a contest to like get this song nailed down, which I think is like very smart. Yes. Um, and it's great. I mean, it's like poppy. It's great. I mean, like, um, yeah, I mean, like it, 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 again, it's like clear that like Tom Hanks, like, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast. I feel like this is a theme of the podcast. Uh, but going back to like periods in time that the filmmaker or the artist themselves is nostalgic for, uh, we've talked about this, like, you know, right now we're kind of coming to the tail, what I think is the tail end of like this 80s nostalgia that we've had like recently in pop culture with Stranger Things. And, you know, there's still such a heavy like uh, 70s in film and stories with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, with Licorice Pizza coming out, with Crossroads, the book we've referenced. It's like whatever this the thing of, of whatever time period the, the filmmaker or artist has grown up with that that's what we're going to see like a, a like kind of a, a heavy amount of media about a story set in that nostalgic time this movie fits right unapologetically into that ethos of like all right right like time. like like your your watering hole as a creative is often in your youth yes that's what we're saying basically that's your yes. bread and butter for inspiration mm-hmm it's like it's just you have this like incredible nostalgia for it. You are just a mound of clay when it comes to in being influenced uh, at the time. 
So uh, that thing you do fits perfectly in that, and like you, can, and it feels like it wears that on its sleeve. It's like it's it's very forwardly nostalgic, which again, like, it's a really nice thing. The movie doesn't try to be anything than what it is, which is like a very pleasant nostalgic movie, and it feels really nice. And it's like really nice to like, I mean, even from the opening of just like the tone setting of like we're in this in the '60s, and this kid is like working for his dad at an appliance store. It's like okay, great, this is pleasant, this is nice, and. Uh, you know, and it's like, no, you know, kind of everywhere USA, it's, you know, Pennsylvania, but it's like everywhere USA. It's like, this is okay. It's this kind of story. I dig it. Yeah. I, I, I'm just like, and I will, will naturally touch on this as we go through the episode, but I'm just, I'm just really impressed with Tom Hanks directing chops for this okay. film. Okay? okay. I don't think it's like, I know, we'll talk about this as we go on that. I don't think it's like a great film necessarily mm-hmm. but i think that i'm just surprised he hasn't directed more because i think that the film has really good pacing um mm-hmm. there's like these there's like a cohesive visual grammar to it and mm-hmm. most importantly i think he gets pretty solid performances from actors that i don't really see that often that aren't known as like bona fide super talented top actors and so this combination of things makes me feel like he sort of has a knack for it. And I'm surprised we haven't seen seen more um, of Tom Hanks directing. Uh, this is nice to hear you say because you have, I feel like, a way more professional eye in regards to recognizing just like the, like the rubber meets the road filmmaking of things. Um, because like to me, it's like it's like an interesting topic when you get like superstar actor taking a swing at behind the camera like jack nicholson did two jakes like the sequel to chinatown which i've never seen uh i'm trying to think of other examples but whenever whenever you get like the 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 actor who is like the like an all-time legend of an actor being like okay i'm gonna sean penn has done it a couple times um it's like it's like a really it it can be a, a like a pretty harsh reckoning of like okay why don't you stay in front of the camera like like this is like fine but like you get one so like hearing you say this it's like interesting because like i i did i couldn't help it like speaks to like there's something to be said about um i feel like a uh like a bona fide director can slip into acting roles and audiences take that it's way more easy for an audience to accept that than it is for a bona fide actor to do the opposite of that where it's like I'm thinking of like Spike Jones. Spike Jones like will pop up here and there in like supporting roles, and it's like, oh, what a weird little dude! Like he nails it, um, but he's like primarily behind the camera. Same with um, Sydney, um, um, Sydney Pollock. Yeah, Sydney Pollock. With, uh, yeah, where it's like eyes wide you know, shut, eyes wide shut, and uh, wasn't he also in Michael uh, Clayton? Michael Clayton. Yeah. And it's like he he I mean he's great. I think he was nominated for an Oscar for one of those. Where it's like it's just I don't know what it is if I don't and. Uh, it, like it's like something about like because we I'm going to theorize because we project so much naturally to like the actor that like we think we know them so for them to do something other than what is in front of us like we we have this like bigger impression of them whereas a director or filmmaker it's like because we're not seeing their face they're kind of just an artistic voice and then therefore they can kind of I don't know I guess what I'm saying is it, it, it's harder for an actor to get behind the camera without because I found myself watching this movie being like, 
judging Tom Hanks like like as a filmmaker because like like I was just like okay like oh interesting shot this this shot feels like good oh this shot feels like kind of like um distractingly artsy or like oh that cuts like a little a little you know strange um well, I so let me let me jump in and say that I think that when a director acts they have enough sense of the entire process to not act in something they know they can't handle very right? good because they're always this. like yeah. these small parts that they can kind of yep. knock out of the park but they're never <laughs> yeah. like let me take the lead in this movie or whatever like so good. i think that's part of it and uh and so on the flip side i know i know what you mean but also it's like i i think it's i'm not saying directing is harder than acting i'm not, I'm not putting that over fifty thousand mm -hmm. watts right now but mm -hmm. um i do think i think that there's there you you need to have more uh, expertise of a wide range of fields to be a director, and so it mm -hmm. can be like a little bit murkier of territory to get in. With that said, maybe we shouldn't be shocked when a when an actor can pull off directing because, like Tom Hanks is probably a guy who's read a thousand scripts at this point right. up into his right. life that has right. interacted with many great directors. Mm -hmm. And seeing how they treat their actors, see how they speak to the people on set, see the decisions they make in the film, mm -hmm. um, and so to 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 be surprised that he has like you know a good feeling for pacing, a good feeling for uh, directing his directing these actors in this movie, like shouldn't come to a massive surprise. I'm not saying every actor should be able to just cross the line and become a director, but it's you know shouldn't be shocking either. Yes, I, I I think that's a, a great point. I and and I, I will add to that that I feel like because the director's the boss, like the director's the boss of the set. Would you agree with this? Like, and I don't mean that in like an egotistical way, but it's like people are looking to the one person that the the everyone is looking to is the director on set. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Uh... For, yeah, for the most part. I wouldn't say everyone on set is looking to the director, but everyone whose job is focusing on what's happening within the frame is looking to the director. Correct. Sure. And so I think like in that in that sense, the actor is naturally observing the director and absorbing things. And certainly the director is learning things, especially from great act from all actors. They're learning like okay, like this needs to be tweaked. You know, they have the vision, presumably, ideally. But like they're they're also learning from the actors. But I will say that it's like, I feel like, because acting, it, maybe I'm wrong here. I'm thinking out loud. But I feel like acting, generally speaking, it, and, and let's talk about great acting, like really great, you got it, kid, X Factor. Acting is instinctual. It's not like a learned thing. There's the craft of acting, no doubt. It's a craft. But like, once you have that craft, you just kind of have what you're born with. Like, you you know, you use the craft to kind of use what you got. And either in and, and, and that way, it's like sort of this binary thing of like either you got it or you don't. Um, and I feel like directors like d directing isn't necessarily that binary to me where it's like, I mean, I guess there is that at the end of the day, either you have a knack for it or you don't. But like, I feel like, ah, man, maybe I'm I think you're onto something. No, no, I, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something. Um, and I think directors maybe have that discretion of like, I, I know I can do this in, in like, I feel like they have like a very specified, like, yeah, I know I can like, I can do this in like a small little, like I, here, here's the type of role. And this is going back to what you said, which was a great point. It's like, they can recognize, I think easier than the average person of like, I can nail this role. I absolutely cannot do that, uh, role. Um, 
So yeah, let's uh, let's get into the movie a little bit here. Yeah, uh, let's. favorite scene. Yeah, I mean, uh, early on, it's really winning when their song first comes on the radio and they all like, kind of impulsively meet up at the appliance store and are shouting and blasting it from the different radios and stuff. I was like smiling. It's like very sweet. And I really liked it a lot. It's a, yeah, that that's a super cute scene. And that's like really one of the only I don't want to say only it's one of the places in the movie that it the, some some movie magic happens. You know, you like yes. You, you you get a little bit uh, of adrenaline from it. The hair stands up on your neck a little bit. You're smiling. And mm-hmm. uh, kind of everything is, is working at that point. Yes. Um, and you're just feeding off their, their excitement. So that's a beautiful little moment of the scene. A, a beautiful little moment of the film, definitely. Yes. And feeding off their excitement is a really good point. And it also like, brings up like one of the sweetest parts of this movie is that it's like uh, the age that the characters are at, which is like, high school like right after high school it's just like it's like you have your whole life ahead of you it's just like a very they're in a place where it's like oh can we make it as a band it's like that you know you know that marriage of like naivete with like you know the sky's the limit like their whole life's ahead of them it's a very sweet and that like moment particularly is like god damn like what a dream what a little dream that is that these uh these characters are going through right now um what do you got so that that's my that's my standout scene yeah um I think that like really a lot of the scenes work uh, up to a certain point. I would say up until when they leave for L.A., uh, the movie's mm-hmm. firing pretty good. I like all the uh, Villa Pianos thing. I like the first talent show that they're mm-hmm. at. And this is more mm-hmm. just for like mood and vibe and uh, atmosphere and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. I like the scene when they're in the first manager's uh, uh, trailer. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. But but true the, the 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 magic scene the best scene is when their song comes on the radio for the first time. Yes, I I, I would agree with that. I excuse me. Also, I did find that kind of like uh, in in uh, marriage to that when they perform on TV uh, near the end is similarly. I felt a very similar feeling of that uh, of just like it's just like. Because part of me thought like, oh, is this going to get sabotaged? Like, is the lead singer going to like stop this like halfway through and they're going to have to cut to commercial or something like that? And it's just like, it's like they're performing on TV and you see like their families like at home, like celebrating it and freaking out and being just like over the moon. It's like similarly like, damn, what a dream. What a beautiful thing. It's so sweet. I I love how uh, in that sequence, (laughs) Giovanni Risby's character, Chad, which is like the perfect (laughs) name for the drummer that gets replaced. Yeah. Has just been like ingratiated into the family. Yeah, yes, I mean, yes. you know, he's just totally. taking guys' space spot. It's like just like a not necessary to the story at all little detail, but just like a great little detail at the same time. One hundred percent, and that this brings up like another um, um, interesting thing because he reminded me because Tom Hanks is in this and and Apollo thirteen came out the same year. I just thought of like Giovanni Giovanni Ribisi's character like was the Michael Collins like of this uh, uh, of like the, the the wonders where it's like he's in it, he's great. Oh, at last minute he like fucks up and then this like this band goes to like the fucking moon in regards to <laughs> stardom and it's like he's just like has to look by it's like that that him and he I mean him and Michael Collins like that's who he is um which was nice. Um who also I'm trying to remember what was the astronaut that they interview on the TV show? Who's played by Brian, Brian Cranston. Cranston? Yeah. Yeah, but who's the who's the astronaut that he's playing? I think it's fictitious. 
Oh, got you. Okay. I think this is another thing the movie does really well where, like, I think everyone is fictitious in the movie, but everyone (laughs) feels so fucking real, too. Yes. Yeah. You're like, how did I miss uh, Diane Dane and Del Paxton? And, like, but they're just, like, (laughs) these concocted characters. But they, they, like, hit the... What am I looking for here? Like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the, like mapping. It's like mapping on to like the reality of of like people that actually existed at that time. Exactly. Yeah. No. One hundred percent. And I do really like that. I do really like that. And and jumping ahead a little bit to another fave moment. Uh, I am a huge fan of the um, end credits. Uh, here's where these fictional characters ended <laughs> okay. up. Yeah. I mean, American Graffiti is like the standout of this. I and I love that this went for it and just did it, and like didn't do it in a way for like cheap laughs. Like it was just like sort of like it all yeah. felt organic to who the characters were. Uh, and I love, I just love that for especially for ficti- fictitious characters where it's just like it's just like kind of it's just like this like really nice. Um, I guess uh, it's just there's a thoroughness to it uh, and a truth where it's like if it if it rings untrue you can feel that as an audience and if it rings true it it like speaks to the the you know dimensionality of the characters and i like that this movie went went with it i like uh uh the dad's name is uh Holmes Os- Osborne from the same dad from Donnie Darko <laughs> oh i didn't even realize that he's sort of i mean it's sort of a one trick pony performance but like <laughs> it's just like his his yeah. constant muttering had me cracking up a little bit Yes. The, like, yes. Oh, go play your bongo drums. Oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> it, it was it was a really nice evocation, I will say, of I what I read to be like a generation, uh, 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 that that gener- the dad of that generation, that that type of that that was the type of dad from that generation is what I read from this. Because at first I was like, okay, like this is stereotypical, like naysaying, back to work, son. We got a business to run. Um, Love that he was won over, like he was like the most celebratory, goofy person, at, yes. you know, like at the end, which was so sweet. Uh, and I love that he it wasn't like a, it wasn't like an October Sky sort of like, he wasn't an actual like antagonist in the movie. He was just kind of this like kind of like coloring, which was like that. that yeah, he's I a curmudgeon. Like, he's a curmudgeon, and I feel like that at least to me like seems like a dad of that generation growing up when that dad presumably did was of that mind of like no you got to work and like you got it like it's just like he doesn't know any other gear to be in uh and so it was just like nice that like had he been more overbearing in an actual like antagonistic force i would have been very off put but i was like pleasantly surprised at like how he kind of his role in the movie was very nice yeah but the dad character i really I, i didn't even like piece together that he was from donnie darko i think that may speak to how much i've repressed viewing that movie (laughs) Uh, um, do you got uh any more fave fave scenes uh i don't i I don't but again kind of kind of all of them yeah in the first uh, movie for sure i also really i did really enjoy when you speak to i like that you said movie magic for for that that when they first hear it on the radio because i think that's true and there's another moment where i really felt that where it took the movie took on a dreamlike quality which was um at the, near the near the end, when uh, the main character's like in the the band's broken up and he s- remains in the studio just to like mess around on the d- drums, and his like hero Del Paxton comes in and they like play together. I was like, this is uh, 
this is like Babe Ruth coming out of the out of the kid's closet in Sandlot. Like it felt yeah. like a really nice like oh like any any sort of like contention that it's like oh this is unrealistic this would never happen is moot because of the dreamlike quality. It's like oh this arguably didn't happen um, even in the reality of the movie. It's like but it's like the feeling of like oh the kid made it and he's there and this is his dream. I thought was really really nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you think we should? I feel like that leads me into a nitpick a little bit that I feel like the movie could have ended there or yeah. something just the, the last like five minutes of the movie when he goes, when, when guy goes back to Faye, there's something that's like just not completely working there. I understand that Faye has been like a main character of this and there's been this like sort of uh, romantic tension between guy and Faye for the whole movie that needs to be resolved in one way or another, but it just felt so much more, um, I don't know, just elegant if it ends with Guy and Del Paxson jamming together in the studio mm-hmm. after the the band is broken up. So I don't I don't really know what to do with it, but uh that feels like the the A ending of the movie, and then you kind of get this like C minus ending too with this like extended makeout scene in front of the hotel. I would agree with that one hundred percent. It felt obligatory, the stuff with Faye afterwards. It felt like predictable and obligatory. Like it was just like, okay, like we know this was like we, you know, we felt the like chemistry and tension between them like grow over the movie. And that almost felt like, I don't know if this was felt at the time, but it certainly felt now. It, it just like kind of felt like, I know where this is going. This like feels predictable. Like they're going to, like her and the lead singer are like not going to work. And then like main character and her are going to end up together. And it just like felt like, I, I'm with you. It just wasn't surprising enough to justify itself. And I will also say... <laughs> And maybe this was like, you know, rigorously accurate to like the, the sexual culture of, of the time, but it also like read now as like, I'm going to, he's like, when's the last time you were, you were kissed good? Well, I'm going to kiss you right now. And it was just like a little too like, that doesn't like read as romantic the, as it probably once did. There's a lot just not working in that. And like the Lamar character is like given so much uh, credence in like the last 10 minutes of the movie that you always think like that must be the last time we're going to see this guy. But yeah. <laughs> he, we keep coming back to him. And even then, I feel like he does a farewell. And then we come back to him really quickly. And then the whole movie ends with him looking like, yeah. you know, looking right down the barrel of the lens. And it's just like, I don't know that, I don't know that this is justified, this yes. Lamar character I, right now. Yes, I, 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 I would agree with you. And like, yeah, you just said it where it felt like it feels just like slightly too much. Like it's lacking in elegance to be surprising or like, truly like it's like clearly like it's too over the head that he's like this omniscient sort of like character kind of interacting with these like lesser beings but it, it's just not it's just not surprising it just comes across as like a little forced yeah um yeah um oh no you hear a baby crying in the background yeah, this will be a poor, theme poor of guy. the that's very sweet yeah <laughs> um Real quick, I also really I, I love uh, 1960s Disneyland whenever it appears in film, uh, <laughs> and so I was like re- a huge fan of of just like the very quick burst that we get of it in this movie. Also of note, uh, I know he like uses like the Matterhorn, which is like a ride consistent with the time, but the Disney uh, like the Mickey costume at the time was a very 90s is the 90s look. Mickey looked much different, so it is. Oh, uh, Disney nitpicking geek. already. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, guess we're just but, like uh, right into nitpicking. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the nitpicking can is just ne- it's just like naturally kind of comes up. But okay, um, all right. But we yeah. won't do a but, nitpicking s- s- segment here. We'll just kind of <laughs> drop them in as we go, peppered throughout. But again, I mean, to be cl- 
clear. The 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 uh, burst of nineteen uh, sixties Disneyland that we get absolutely justifies any sort of um, um, what is word uh, incongruity. Uh, yeah. Uh, with uh, the uh, the character costume, yeah. Um. All right. Where yeah. Do you, where Where do you want to Where do you want to go? I mean, uh, I mean, talking points is kind of what I have as next, but um, I feel like I mean we've kind of gone over a couple of those. I mean, yeah, as me as well. I mean, as we're talking about this, I mean, this movie really is like, what is, I feel like, what is the inside of like Tom Hanks's mind look like? Because it's like, uh, we also, it, it, one of the trivia about the movie is that he originally was resistant to the main actor, casting the main actor because he thought he bared too much of res- a resemblance to young Tom Hanks, which I like thought which he pretty does. Immediate, it's like, which he does. Uncanny. Yeah. Yes. Uncanny. And the reason he went with them is because, uh, Tom Hanks, wife, Rita Wilson, also in the movie brief cameo, uh, she was just like, no, but he's cute, which I think is really funny. Cause this trivia is obviously, I think like, like way truncated, but it's like funny to me that Tom Hanks is like, no, no, no. He looks too much like younger me. People are going to be like, think that. And Tom, um, and Rita Wilson, who's like in love with him is like, yeah, but that guy's really cute. Like younger, you was really cute. And so it's like, I guess, yes, he can. And then to take it one, one step further then the scene with Rita Wilson (laughs) is like her hitting on guy who looks just like young Tom Hanks. Phenomenal. (laughs) Phenomenal. Um, also, twisted really, fucks. it's twisted. Hollywood is tw- these movies are fucking twisted dreams. Um, the uh, really enjoyed that Peter Scolari was the host of the show, which is uh, uh, Tom Hanks's co- co-star in Bosom Buddies. Uh, they're like Tom Hanks. Good is, like, call. All right. And Peter Scolari, rest in peace, re- passed away like in the past month, I believe. Um, which, but it was like very sweet to like kind of see like, you know, you hear about Tom Hanks being a good guy and. It would appear just from this, it's like, man, taking everybody along with them. Uh, that was very, a very sweet little kind of layer to this movie. Yeah, and uh, it, this movie must have been really fun to make, I feel like. It looks like it. Yeah. It looks like it. I, um, sorry, mostly because they're not... Uh, this is something that I'm really going to you know hit, I think, as we're wrapping up the episode, but mostly just because... It's like every scene is basically about it's a positive scene somehow, you know. Yes. There's not like many dark moments. It doesn't seem like there's any like, you know, uh, production really tough uh, conditions to shoot in, and, and, mm-hmm. and then like the subject matter is just like yeah, it's just positivity. And so I just imagine that they were just riding a wave of having a fucking great time through this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, to, to that point, it's like I feel like it's pretty rare to get a movie that is pleasant and gentle, and there isn't. I kept, I mean, it's truly, it's just like the the average uh, kind of barometer I have in me as just like a average movie viewer or just someone who's seen a lot of movies. Like you do just anticipate conflict, and you're kind of like, oh, the dad is going to be really antagonistic, or the original record uh, manager, music manager is going to be like, he's going to fuck him over. Oh, Tom Hanks is going to be sinister here, and it's just like, it's just like, nope, 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 nope. And it's like, it's like really, in terms of the mechanics of a movie where it's like you need the conflict and stuff. It's like this movie obviously the fundamentals are there, but it's like really admirable that it like just, it's just like it, it, it maintains this pleasantness even till the end. I mean, yeah, like the, the band breaks up, but like, even then it's like, just like, it's very sweet. The whole thing. Um, yes. 
Yeah, it's very and nice. if you were to guess an an uh, a actor turned director to make this uh, something like this, it seems like it would be Tom Hanks. I mean, it is Not remarkably that I've ever met Tom Hanks, but it just fits into his brand so well. Yes, I mean, it's remarkably consistent with like my idea and like feeling that Tom Hanks evokes, which is like this like real pleasantness. Uh, uh, it's it's just it's it's very very sweet. It's very very sweet. I also. Um, this kind of gets into, uh, well, a bigger idea that I have, but, but well, I'll just keep it small for now. But we talked about, we've brought up this idea of double features before, I think with Sandlot, it was, um, everybody wants them. And watching this movie, I thought, uh, a great double feature is that thing you do and in inside Lewin Davis, because with both those movies, uh, similar time period aside, they're both stories of aspiring, uh, musical acts that fall by the wayside and are kind of presumably lost to history. And I think that is a really, um, personally, that's a very resonant kind of story where it's like, oh, these artists that have, that toiled in obscurity and never transcended obscurity. Um, That's a powerful thing because like, to me, it's like there, it's like really thinking about it. It's like uh, really backing away. It's these stories of like what it means to do art, even if it's just like, to me, the statement of both those movies is like, man, it's like the, the 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 history is like an ocean and like what we know about it is just so, you know, the people that actually kind of break through history and are known is so, so minimal that like we forget that like there, there are a billion stories of people like aspiring and like giving it everything and they just like we just don't know them. And I feel like to tell it in a fictional way where it's like that thing you do and, and Lou and Davis are both fictional acts probably you know mapped from like very real uh people it's like it, it like it, it elevates it to a thing of like oh like it abstracts it just enough to be like uh uh oh yeah this is a thing that happens and in fact you might be doing this right now like and it just like it i don't know there's a there's a resonance to it that's really profound to me sure i it's funny that you used an ocean metaphor because i had a similar metaphor of it I had the same metaphor of an ocean, but more of like, like popular culture can be an ocean and the things that get like taken up by a wave and like just absolutely mm. like dominated and then eventually discarded by the same wave um, yeah. are kind of random too. You know, there's yeah. like a bunch of like, I think that the movie suggests that if Guy hadn't like whatever picked, doubled the pace of the song at the first yeah. talent show, none of this would have ever none of this would have ever happened. So yeah, I have a similar metaphor, maybe a little like a slightly more existential one. Um, but that's good. I like that 100%. And that, and like when they're filming the, um, the beach, like the beach party movie, uh, that like fits into what you're saying to me. Like, as you're saying this, that's what's coming to mind. Ocean metaphor, like literally aside, but it's like the, the, it's like because it's like watching it's like i'm not familiar with beach party movies i've never seen one i know that they were like popular at the time especially elvis was like in a bunch of them and they're kind of viewed as this like very schlocky very dated uh uh kind of just whatever popularity at the time like yeah people love rock and roll beach movies and it's like i don't know why that is it's like a tied with like sur- the advent of surfing culture or whatever but it's like watching something like that where it's like um 
and to make it about Inside Lewin Davis as well as like they record that like Mr. Kennedy like space race song that's like really hokey and whatever but like ends up taking off where it's like these like little references to like oh yeah these were like super dated but like uh, also very popular at the time but like did not stand the test of time but yet if you were a musician operating in these times these were opportunities to you and also signs of like you, you made it kid uh, which is just like it's just that's that's a nice touch it's a nice touch where it's like it's it's in the time devoid of artistic merit but at the same time it's like well what are you gonna do not do it and make like a bunch of money potentially um it's interesting also uh i'll finish my quote because it's from this book uh by this guy milan condero but he's but the line is history is an ocean no sorry it's something to the effect of that um history is a fishing line over an ocean uh, which I think like captures it where it's like, just like what we know is just like infinitesimal to what has occurred. Uh, and both these, in, uh, inside Lewin Davis and that thing you do, do tap that, um, beautiful to varying degrees. Yeah. Um, beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I forgot about our double feature s- segment, but I'll just throw it almost famous, which is obviously yeah. like about music, totally. but it, mm-hmm. like it, it has a, uh, like a similar vibe to it like uh, the way it treads um in a world mostly of positivity i think it gets a little darker than that thing you do does which is like especially lighthearted. uh but i'll yes. throw that out there we forgot to do a double feature for um english patient fudge right so. i didn't think i wasn't thinking about it as a as a category for us it de- but that is definitely what it is it's a, such a great category it's a great category yeah it really is. i would nominate something like yeah i mean like, i feel yeah. like <laughs> well sorry go ahead did you have something <laughs> not really I was like, because it's like what makes what makes double feature that category fun is like to kind of subvert expectations, but like, but also try to fulfill them in an even more satisfying way than what would be obvious. Because like to me, like my, like my first thought for double feature English patient is like Lawrence of Arabia, but that's too obvious, too similar. Like it needs to be like refracted, just like enough where it's like, ooh, yeah, didn't think about that, but you're right. It's great point. My, that that's the same problem with my almost famous one is that it's too similar, and uh, yeah, I'll do better next time. Okay, I'm 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 pretty proud of Inside Lewin Davis and that thing you do. I feel like because yes. it's true, it's truly like the same story, but like it reveals like here are the um, differences with how Tom Hanks tells a story and how the Coen Brothers tell a story. Where it's like, yeah, it's like Inside Lewin Davis is just like truly the bleakest shit on the planet. Like watch us, like watch this, watch this character get shit on and not get a single win over the course of an entire movie. Whereas that thing you do is like poppy, pleasant, beautiful, colorful, heartwarming. Win, 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 win. Yes, win. So, yes totally. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. I love it. Um, MVP? MVP, I'm going to say uh, Minnesota native Steve Zahn. Yeah, um, dude, I can't believe we've talked for 48 minutes and I haven't <laughs> fucking brought up Steve Zahn. It was incredible in this movie. Um, he really is incredible. I would say this is uh, maybe his his my personal favorite role of his. I mean, he's just he rules in it, man. He's just like, uh, I mean, yes, he's playing, quote unquote, the fool. Uh, Tom Hanks his manager character's words, not mine. But he's just so great. And he's so he's like the he. He's always comic relief, but never in a at the expense of uh, in not never in a cringy eye rolly way. Uh, I want to hang out with this dude, and like I want to hang out with this character, like the the for for hours. Like he just is so fucking fun. Yeah, I mean my my with with 
without a doubt, my MVP is also Steve Zahn. I mean, he <laughs> sticks every landing throughout the whole yes. movie. He like, yes. I mean, not that the movie needs it to be like light, not that it needs any more levity, but like, yeah, he, 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 he brings it every scene, every time his like goofy face is like pops up in it. And, uh, yeah, I <laughs> mean, like the scene when he's playing go fish with with, with those old guys <laughs> phenomenal man and the fact that it's like i love that it's just like cutting back and forth like it's just like we're just getting like little douses like one liners from him like in that in that setup is like so great too to like the to to just like the the tone that's being set and like the dynamic of everything just like it's, great it's so good that they're playing go fish too of like yes. everything you'd expect yes. to be playing cards in a smoky bar yes. with like other yes. musicians like yes. <laughs> I mean, he's very much um, that his character has the energy of uh, um, Ben Affleck and like Goodwill Hunting when he sh- when his character shows up to like make that like deal and he's like wearing like the the cheap like too small suit with like white socks and stuff where it's like he's just like a kid a confident kid amongst giants and just like has no no uh, is is just like unflappable. I love him, but yeah, I mean, how old is Steve Zahn and when this is shot? Twenty. 20, oh gosh, twenty four, something like that. Man, was this his breakout? No, was I, it? I High mean, fidelity was close. I just feel like I, I just feel like Steve Zahn. How is this guy not now? How is he not like a bona fide a lister? How is he not just like getting leading leading man parts in movies? Like everything I see him in, I just fucking love him. He cracks me up. Yes. Um, and uh, and it just never happened. I wonder if he didn't want it to happen, or like if if uh, I'm just drinking some Kool Aid. No, I think you're right. Also, I just want to correct this before uh, we get absolutely flooded with uh, uh, viewer or uh, listener mail where I, he wasn't in High Fidelity. Um, okay. Um, I was I, for some reason conflated him with Jack Black, which is a Saving Silverman. Um, issue. The uh, he was 29. It looks like when this movie came okay. out. Um, Marshall, Minnesota. Love it. Um, I will say, so I'm with you. He is successful, man. He was just in White Lotus. I didn't watch, but like I know that that like people, like he was all over Twitter, like people referencing him and stuff. He's like consistently, I I feel like working and consistently doing like really admirable good work. Um, But I'm with you. I mean, he's not like the like, you know, Mark. He's not like Seth Rogen. Comedy star. No, not at all. Not at all. But I do, I mean, to have Steve Zahn's career... I would die a happy man. I would, li- I would also live a happy man. Um, he's, I mean, he's great, man. He's just like fucking, he's, he, I'm literally just looking at his like Google images right now. And I'm just, I have a big smile, the shit eating grin on my face. It's like, it's the best. I did read that he like absolutely killed the audition. Like there was no question. Like, God. He was just, yeah, there, there was no discussion about, about this role. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like uh, an actor having a persona, I mean, he is, the the fool and i mean that as like just the in the most you know complimentary way he's just fucking great man he's so funny um all right dual mvp we don't always get that often i don't know if we have had that before, i don't think where that it hasn't been had. like yeah where it's like not an do obvious we, do one. we call it the steve zahn award from now on moving forward i like that i'm getting <laughs> for that to, 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 it, uh, any excuse to kind of uh pepper in steve zahn uh, into listeners ears i'm behind so yeah um. All right, we got legacy next. Yeah, like what is this movie's legacy? I. So I think that this movie. I think that this is like a perfect movie, but not okay. a great movie. 
Okay. And I can elaborate on that a little bit that I don't wish anything was different about this movie for, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that really any part of the movie needs to be omitted or is boring or doesn't work. Like the whole movie, Mm -hmm. it, it works. It's entertaining. Makes me smile. Um, but because of the, you know, lack of complexity, it can only, it only has such a high ceiling it can reach to. Mm-hmm. And it's not a movie as much as I love it. It's not a movie like, you know, because it's not complex in, in concept, in emotion, in character, in plot. Like it's not a movie I'm going to think about three days from now that I'm like, God, I can't fucking stop thinking about that thing you do. Mm-hmm. But for what it is, it's awesome. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said perfect movie that's maybe not like doesn't reach the the levels of greatness of a very memorable movie i mean it's like what i had is like it is a uh a phenomenal pg movie and i don't mean that like pg movies as like um as like a a pigeonhole in it i just mean like it's it's like pleasant movies i feel like the reason we don't see more of them or any of them really is because of they do kind of lack a like i said earlier vitality or essentialness um and so and this movie like kind of like it it kind of just like takes those qualms and it's just like yeah this is going to be a pleasant movie a very like winning feel-good movie and collateral damage maybe it'll be like you won't you know uh, be thinking about it days from now but like whenever it's on you're going to like it whenever you do remember it you're going to have a a smile on your face and when you're watching it you're you're going to be really happy um I so, think yeah, yeah we're, we're on the same. We're pretty much on the yes. same page with with how yes. we feel about this. I think it should be like a little bit more uh, in the zeitgeist. It should be a little bit more remembered than it is. I feel like it's still on the edge of obscurity, and it's good enough that it's worthy of most people like being like, "That's a that's a damn cute movie." I think uh, I, I'm with you there. I think the um, I can see this movie being pretty high on the list of. Uh, the way like kid children now will know it be like, yeah, my, my mom or my dad like really loves this movie and we grew up watching it is like what this movie is. I like it. it it's going to take the parental push. I like it. Um, anything we missed, you know, we didn't really talk about uh, Charlize Theron's first role. Uh, first, I didn't know it was her first role that, uh, she looks like a like a original Barbie in this, like the nineteen like the like the like the original Barbies that you see. Like she really does look like that. Um, I I read yeah. uh, that she really wanted the role of Faye, and mm. Tom Hanks was basically like, "No, you're too like drop dead gorgeous." Uh, and I also read that when she left the casting, Tom Hanks said to the room, "Like, well, you all just met a movie star," <laughs> which I think Jesus. is like some good. Uh, Wow. <laughs> God, what a fucking great anecdote. Uh also worth noting that completely seemingly by chance when they're sitting next to each other, uh her name is Tina and Liv Tyler's name is Faye and it's just like Tina and Faye. Whoa. Uh, is like I, that like kind of jumped out to me cuz like when they're sitting next to each other at like one of the early concerts I was like, "Oh, wow. What are the chances?" Uh, Liv Tyler is adorable in this movie. Yeah. It's not that good of a part, you know, and right. like her character is like, it's not, it's not like a great part. It's not like, Oh, Liv Tyler's amazing in this movie, but just like a very like young, 
uh, super stoked. Liv Tyler is like a mm-hmm. good, uh, uh, you know, fifth wheel for this for this band. Definitely. Yeah. Very good energy. Very good energy. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of flipping through stuff. The, I think that's the, all I got. There's an extended cut where oh. there's a lot more Tina. Apparently, I've never seen it. It's significantly longer. Um, and in the extended cut, Howie Long the ex-football player uh, is in it insinuated to be Mr. White, Tom Hanks' boyfriend. Really? Yeah, sort of crazy. Wow. (laughs) I mean, uh, uh, two layers of kind of wildness there. I'm just like, like, oh, like the character is meant to be gay. Cool. The wild to me that it's like Howie Long. (laughs) I know. I bet you didn't guess I was going to say that when I started that sentence. Very interesting. Howie Long of Firestorm fame. Yeah, um, exactly. And Fox <laughs> NFL. And Fox NFL every Sunday. Um, cool, interesting. Was that the Tom Hanks edition that they referenced in, from like 2007? I just like saw something quick on like uh, IMDb or Wikipedia or something. I assume, yeah, it's like an extended director's cut. So interesting, interesting. Love it. All right. I th- cool. I mean I think that's it. That's it's. Uh, there's not. Um, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, a good uh, love the movie. It, yeah. Not a great movie, you know. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> perfect movie. I fucking love it. Is it a great movie? No, it's not a great movie. So, an absolutely perfect movie doesn't crack my top twenty. It doesn't. It doesn't top crack my top one hundred. But I fucking love it. Can't wait to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, no, unlike it's a great... unlike English Patient, I'll definitely watch this again. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yes. Both movies, um, no, that thing you do is, 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 is way more enjoyable than English patient. Yeah. So, uh, I'm glad my son could make it on this episode so thoroughly. I feel like he's been crying for the like last half of it. I hope he's, I hope he's okay. It is very, it is genuinely very sweet. Yeah. I mean, I'm just gonna say the time capsule that he is, he is providing right now, I think is, is very, very meaningful. So, um, all right, here we go. Thank you so much for listening. Please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. And if you have a moment and enjoy the show, leave us a good review. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Leave us a good review. It goes a long way for us to continue making these episodes, which we thoroughly enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. If you agree with us, disagree with us, or have your own hot takes, send us an email or voice memo to the Oscar went to at gmail.com. And if we think you're onto something, we'll play it on an op on it. We'll play it on an upcoming episode. Um, also, we are in the thick of 1996. If you have a film you'd like us to talk about, shoot us an email. Tell us why you love or hate the movie, and we'll consider it for our next deep dive. All right, Nick. There we All go. Right. Another one down. Another one down. We'll Keep put our next. Uh, yep. We'll, we'll based on the feedback we get, we'll throw next week's episode in the show notes of this one. So if you want to watch along with us and. Uh, have something to look forward to when next week's episode comes out you'll know what we're watching love it all right say it until next time until next time the balcony is closed so long